The Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. Hello and welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verlum 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Alcoury. And I'm Cathy Weston. So tonight's show, it, we're dealing with a very contentious topic, but we're not dealing about any political sides to it. We just want to know the facts. And it is the B word, it's Brexit. And we wanted, our, you know, we always listen to our listeners and topics that they're concerned about. And this is one that listeners have been getting in touch with us about. People who are married to citizens from the EU or EU citizens who are married to UK nationals don't necessarily know where they stand in the next coming years. And they want to know. And also, you know, we all know that St Albans, it's a very, very multicultural place. There's lo- lots of our friends are married to people from EU countries and people are concerned and worried about what they should be concerned about and thinking just about the future and wondering is there anything they need to get in place now just in case because we, we don't really know how Brexit might pan out. So there's lots of questions of great concern to people living locally, aren't there? Exactly. So we've got the two best people on the job. And joining us this evening, we've got Estelle Lear, who's a family law barrister from Tanfield Chambers in London, and Mary McAvoy, um, family law partner from Neve Solicitors in Harpenden, to help us understand where where parents stand legally, what are these new concepts like settled status, what are the criteria, who fits them, what do we need to do? And to help us start the ball rolling and get this conversation started, we've got a local mum. Cathy, you speak French. Uh Uh-oh, Marie-Françoise. How's that? Oh, François. What did I say? Okay, that was a massive failure. As you can tell, I'm not half French, nor French. So, uh, well, you did a better job than I could. Um, So joining us in the studio as as an EU national, we'll be talking to her just a few seconds about her experience and what she'd like to know. And then coming up towards the end of the show... um, We've got Claire Healy from Raring to Go coming back to join us and get a pen and paper because she's going to be telling us about all the summer activities for children in the St. Albans and Harpenden area. So if you've any questions, if you're listening in on online or if you're just following our Facebook page, we'll be keeping the conversation going on Facebook while we're on air. So send in your questions and we'd love to hear from you. Or you can always give us a call on 01727 I've forgotten the number. Oh, 1777 There we go, 92.6. With a lovely studio assistant out there who can help. That's it, right. Great, so let's move on to our first guest now. Our first guest is Marie. Francois. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I'm not trying any more than that. And it's a real... (laughs) Thank you for welcoming me here at the Parents Show It's a pleasure to have you on. So there's a lot of talk in the news about... Let, let, let me bring my other guests in straight away, actually, as well. Estelle Lear, welcome to The Parent Show. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. And Mary, you're very, very welcome back Thanks. to The Parent Show. Thank you. Bye. Um, so let's talk about a very practical case. You're an EU citizen, Marie. You live in St Albans. Tell us your situation. So I've moved here in St Albans 17 years ago now. 
Um, so it's a lovely city which I love very much. Uh, like you said, filled with EU citizens, not only French, but Irish and Portuguese and Spanish and Italian. So it's very busy. So it's fantastic. Um, I have got two boys who are teenagers uh, attending secondary school. Um, so I'm a French EU citizen as well as they are. But my husband, who I'm married to, is English. He's from London. So the question is, um, what will happen after the Brexit, once the Brexit is finally negotiated and is coming on life? Um, do I have to apply for a British passport myself uh, to guarantee that I can stay in the UK? Um, maybe before that, should I really have that residency permit, which is the talk at the moment of everybody, mm. um, even the home office, because I did receive a home office letter recently. So you um, were one of the people who received this letter. Yeah. And for people listening at home, that letter, yeah. what was the tone of it? And why did some people receive, receive it, it in St. Albans and others didn't? Others. I don't know. Maybe because I've been travelling a lot, so I might be registered somehow somewhere not red listed but um i just registered on the home office just to get the latest news of right you know, the outcome right. of the brexit just because i thought maybe i'll get the news before what is said in the media and what and, did the letter say um the letter just confirmed what has been negotiated so far that the eu citizens are protected in terms of rights with a settled status and i think our uh, dear ladies here are going to explain what does it mean the eu settled status uh, because it's very vague i think it's just the letter was just a pure administration reply saying don't worry you've got the protection from the home office you are eu citizens you might need to apply for the residency permit but there was no obligation um, to no do so. To so do left so. sort of to you to yeah. decide. And nothing else, you know, mm. after that. Yeah. Um, I was not worried receiving this letter because I like things being square. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I'm registered here, but I can be registered anywhere where I've been traveling, in effect. Um, and But my question is, because it's so blur at the moment, um, should we do these formalities of... Uh, residency permit. Lots of our friends in St Albans have applied for it. You need to draw lots of paperwork, obviously, to apply for it. Is that guaranteeing you the fact of being able to stay in the UK? Um, is it better to get uh, a British passport? Because I think everybody panicked, you know, at the very beginning of the Brexit. Straight away, some EU citizens thought, mm, if I apply for a British citizenship, I'll keep my job. I'll be certain of having not any issues with any regulations or any, you know, political or anything issues. Um, and I still got some friends, like recently, a French friend living in London. Um, he did it just for maybe also the protection of his children, who are the two girls are also French. Yes, he had to pass the tests. He didn't find it very difficult. Um, and he said, no, I kept my British passport, so I feel safe having the dual nationality. Um, but the question is very blur so these are my two questions do we have to do the residency permit do you think we should apply for the british um, passport post and after brexit and just a question about that you're in quite a bind aren't you because if you retain your french passport you will obviously retain eu rights etc yeah. you know for the rest of your life but what you're saying is is it better for your family yes. to assume a british passport exactly. so that's quite an interesting 
conflict, isn't it? And it brings in so many other issues. Yeah, other issues. About exactly. identity and yeah. how you feel yeah. um, giving and up a, a passport, you know. Yeah, and, and just the practicability. You don't want to find yourself at the airport being stranded. There has been the case already last year during the summer holidays. Um, if you go into specific countries, say Saudi Arabia or USA, um, where there is really strict rules, mm. you know, you don't want to find yourself suddenly in one line without your children and your husband. And I think that's a really big issue. People joke and laugh about it, but actually, because my husband's got an English passport as well, a British passport, and we're all Irish. But you think, are people going to be in different lines at the airport? And people have a genuine worry about that because they don't want to sort of see, be separated in Absolutely. that way. Absolutely. We might be maybe too concerned, um, but I think it's better to be proactive than facing up a situation which might be very uncomfortable for everybody as a family. Mm. Great. Well, let's give um, give the microphone to Estelle now. Estelle, um, I just give it your best shot. I know all the information <laughs> isn't out there yet. I think um, I think I'm in the same position as a lot of people at the moment. There are more questions in my mind than answers, and unfortunately, it's been a slow process in terms of the government putting forward their proposals in terms of how to um, really get through this maze and how, and, and, and how to deal with these really difficult issues. I, I think one thing I will say at the outset is I'm not an immigration specialist. I'm a family law barrister. Um, but I have been watching, keeping up with the news. And, of course, I also have lots of friends and um, colleagues who are EU citizens or, or even non-EU citizens who've been dealing, grappling with this issue for some time. A lot of people I know have applied already for British, British citizenship, so uh, they then won't have a difficulty uh, once um, the um, United Kingdom leave uh, the European Union. But the government have now, in fact, put forward a proposal, which now is on the Gov UK website, which is settled status. And I've printed off the information today, and it says, if you're a Euro European Union citizen that is someone who doesn't have British citizenship living in the UK, you and your family can apply for settled status if you want to continue living here after June 2021. So, of course, for some people, they may decide that they don't want to continue living in the United Kingdom post-Brexit. Um, but if uh, European Union citizens do want to continue living in the United Kingdom post-Brexit, they can apply. If you're an Irish citizen, of course, you don't need to apply. And if you have indefinite leave to remain, uh, you don't need to apply. Um, but oh, sorry, Estelle, what does it mean, indefinite um, leave to, to remain? So rem this is another process through uh, the immigration channels uh, where you haven't got citizenship, but you've been settled and there are certain criteria that you have to comply mm. with and an application that you have to make to the Home Office. And the Home Office can then give you what's known as indefinite leave to remain. That means that you have a right to stay in the country. Even, and like Marie might say, retain her French passport, but, but have indefinite um, ability to remain? Obviously, there are certain criteria that you'd have to, mm. to meet, but there are ways, for example, that you talked about the residency um, per permit route, indefinite leave to remain route, the settled status route, which has just now been um, made available on the Gov website. They say the scheme will open in March 2019. But already there are a lot of people who have um, dual nationality. 
who may have the option of a British and, for example, a French passport or a British and an Italian passport. Well, that's a kind of an ideal scenario, yeah. really, for people. I, but I, I, think I think having both options perhaps would be the ideal scenario yeah. to avoid those sort of separation in the exactly. queues at the airport exactly. that you mentioned. Yeah. If the people apply for the, the permit that you've just mentioned, is that a sort of a litmus test as to how the government will feel about you moving forward? So could Marie, say, apply for a residence, a, a permit, and if she's... If, she, if you get that, if you're through that gate, does it make it easier? Is it an assumption that you would become a British citizen? Well, of course I can't. I couldn't say with any certainty. But certainly in terms of what the gov website is saying about settled status, um, it says that getting settled status means that you can continue to live and work in the United Kingdom for as long as you like. And it also means that you're then eligible for public services, public funds, pensions and British citizenship. So if you haven't already got British citizenship and you're not eligible now, the settled status may be a route in. But to be eligible for settled status, you have to be an EU citizen or a family member of an EU citizen who's been living in the UK for a period of five years. And you have to have started living here before 2020. So the scheme will open in March 2019 and will close in June 2021. So there is a effectively a transitional period where EU citizens can apply for settled status. You've got to do it after 2019 once we leave um, and then uh, you've got until 2021 to make So not too much of a hurry. So people could sit back and watch and see what happens rather than jumping in and just hurrying. As you said, yeah. Marie, you know, people just panicked yeah. and went for, I think, the Irish citizenship. I mean, goodness me, we've never had so many Irish citizens around the world. I think it's off the charts. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the application's like, are you sure? To go now. <laughs> Everybody's looking at those Irish roots. Exactly, exactly. Find that granny or granddad. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to look at all of the options at the moment as, a, of course, whatever is particular to your family and your circumstances. And there will be all sorts of different scenarios. And um, I think just having the information and, and looking at what might may or may not be right for your family in the future, settled status may be one of those options. But there are any number of others, which I'm, I'm afraid I, I'm not qualified really to talk about in any detail, but there are options there and the settled status is the new one. I think, and we'll have to ask Mary in a second, but there's a great temptation to always have the same nationality as your children in times of, you know, confusion and nobody really knows what. And I think often, you know, but it's often sad, isn't it, to think of people giving up their national identity. It might feel like that by changing passports. Mary, what do you think about that? I think it's um yeah it's um it's a good question there because you hear lots of people thinking that because they have got the due nationality they think automatically that um they've got it for life but with these scenario coming up you know you need really to uh, be proactive and um like I said yeah get your protection for your family for your children but also for your children to keep the nationality whether of their mother or their father, because it's a perinity, isn't it? And who, who knows, you know, there is this wonderful Erasmus programme, which we're giving the opportunity for EU children to study abroad. Now, this will change after 2020, because that Erasmus programme is still on board until that date. Um, so having, a, having that dual nationality will open maybe more gate for them, um, and not just before being confined within the British island. I think it's just very important to keep your identity, you know, as a general basis. 
And Estelle, on the subject of family law, on family law, you know, so many families have are in diverse situations and might be even people might be thinking about getting married, divorced, separated, and they might have children in, you know, different places and they've got married in a different jurisdiction and they're very, very worried about what will change or if there's anything that they need to think about if they're getting married or if they're getting divorced and what's your sort of general advice about or what's your general take on the state of family law uh, post-Brexit as you may understand it? I, I think certainly for me because I'm dealing generally with litigation, family litigation, family breakdown, um, the kind of scenarios that I would envisage being things that people might be thinking about going forwards is in the event of a family breakdown where for example one party is a EU citizen and the other party uh, is a British citizen and let's say mum wants to go back to for example in your case Maria to France and dad wants to stay in the United Kingdom and then the parents are grappling over you know where should the children live and, and how does the court deal with that at the moment we have a, an application called a leave to remove application and there is various criteria that you have to um, to meet uh, in in order to persuade the court that it's in the best interest of the children to move to uh, another country out of, outside of the jurisdiction of England and Wales but of course post-Brexit I think there'll be much bigger issues in these cases because for example let's say for example you don't have British citizenship you don't have settled status um, it's your choice to apply for it perhaps you'll choose not to because you want to go back to your home country Dad's then saying, I don't want you to leave with the children. How will the court grapple with that going forwards? Because it won't simply be a straightforward welfare test. There'll also be the issue of the Brexit problem and the fact that, in fact, mum now doesn't have settled status. Uh, you also have to apply for the children in that scenario for settled status. Perhaps you haven't applied for them. Uh, it may be that in that scenario, perhaps it will be easier to persuade a court to allow the mother to go back to her home country, for example. Um, but I simply don't know how the court's going to grapple with that going forwards and whether the criteria would impact on that kind of application. Mm. And another issue that comes up a lot is mirror orders. So, for example, the court here have made an order for contact uh, with a child or, for example, for maintenance. And um, one party then um, goes to a EU country and they want to enforce that order for example for child maintenance at the moment there's quite um, useful EU regulations which deal with that effectively the EU country will mirror the order in their own country and then it's enforceable um, post Brexit will that legislation remain we don't know at the moment uh, will we be able to enforce orders in other EU countries easily like we can now or will we have to as I'm anticipating negotiate different scenarios with different countries and create new precedents all over again and lots and lots of uncertainty yeah. for people on the ground well, trying I to grapple with it I spoke to a mum locally today who um, is divorced but her son regularly goes back he's quite old he's you know 12 and he travels back um, almost every few weeks every two to three weeks to stay with his father in France so she was very concerned about just the administrative you know it seems so easy for him to travel back to see his father and actually she's worried about the impact of, of, of him being tangled up waiting in queues or how, how sort of seamless it's going to be so you know there's things that no one can answer but no. that's quite anxiety I mean, inducing th isn't it? There are 
as I said at the outset, there are so many questions, and at the moment, and unfortunately, because time is progressing, of course, March 2019 is fast approaching, and it seems, aside from the settled status, which I must say it was quite clear on the Gov website, there are any number of issues that we simply just don't know yet what, what is going to happen. But I think lay people expect, we expect that the government is actually asking family lawyers... Uh, you know, what are the issues? that? Because there must be bureaucrats somewhere um, actually trying to disentangle all of the, the law. So we just assume that, you know, that's all been taken care of somewhere. Well, everybody in the in the room is nodding. So we're, yeah. we hope so, right, yeah, Estelle? Well, cer- certainly the, um, the Bar Council... Yeah. who oversees um, barristers, have, have had uh, done a lot of work and various barristers and judges and uh, academics have been feeding into various papers, which I think are available on the Bar Council website, Ooh, dealing with know. Brexit and the impact on each area of law, not just family law, for example, Brexit and criminal law, employment Brexit law. and employment law, yeah. um, really sort of helping the government to sort of guide them through the process of the kind of issues that the government are going to need to grapple with and how they're going to have to deal with that and giving them some feedback and ideas about what the options might be. I mean, you've mentioned employment law. Goodness me, so many people travel, like, just locally three times a week to different European countries, you know, and people are very concerned as well about how that's going to feel because it would impact so greatly on their business lives. I think it's such a huge minefield for uh, for the government and for Parliament to be looking at and potentially passing a lot of laws. But for, for us on the ground, of course, it's really difficult because this period of uncertainty is ongoing and you just nobody knows what's going to happen. So if a client comes in and asks me for some advice post-March 2019 in relation to a leave-to-remove application, it's very difficult at the moment to advise on that and mary mcavoy at neves you know bring you in a little bit you have you experienced people in the middle of sort of litigation at the moment being concerned in any way or perhaps not concerned enough yeah i have to say i haven't but um i think that's the point is that with law it's um people are only opting in when they really have a crisis yeah and you'll only be aware of the problems when you do have that crisis, and before we came in, I was talking to Estelle about a case I did in the 80s. Um, it's taken the Europe a long time to produce a lot of this harmonisation and the rules and regulations. So although we were in the uh, Europe, um, common market, as it was in the 1970s, even in the mid-80s, um, it was really difficult. If uh, I had a case where the mother removed the child, the parents weren't married, the father had no legal status um, and the mother removed the child to Italy and we discovered that not only did he have no legal status in this country but this country had no enforcement remedies against Italy Mm. so you know you worry about it it's even in an organization like the EU taken a long time to come up with these harmonization rules and the rules about children and divorce petitions who goes first you know you file your divorce petition in england today and your husband files it tomorrow in france which takes precedence all that stuff has taken a long time to come come up you know as as settled law and settled procedures more to the point um 2005 was when a lot of that was harmonized um as i say when i was in the 80s you know it was really very difficult and that creates uncertainty because what the government's saying at the moment is that they are going to adopt the eu 
principles. So make their own homegrown kind of versions. No, yes. And, well, just basically continue to use them. But mm. we don't know that the EU will. So say, say you file a divorce petition in England today and husband files tomorrow in France. Well, we might say we've adopted EU principles, which is the first petition is accepted. But as France... Why should they? <laughs> and, and have they, of course, they've got the right to change that law, which the yes. EU probably will. Does it mean that Britain will always follow suit to keep in harmony? And Well, that's the next problem, is if we're going to say that, and that, uh, you know, as I say, harmonisation is a two-sided coin, so you need them to be doing what we're doing. Um, we have got, what's the status for us? having input we don't know what those structures are because those structures are going and we've been told they are going so we don't know well, we, how I, do we feed in I, and also we're a common law jurisdiction which is completely different to the law that's adopted yeah. in most of europe yeah you know we're not putting that angle on things which, can you, know. you explain that a little bit better for those of us who have no legal background whatsoever what do you mean by common law well all everyone's law comes from the, their history it's it's a very very long process um you know some of our you know when you study tudor england you sort of think oh i see why we do that now so and it's the same in europe you know napoleonic laws and so on um and ours is quite different and we we have a precedent based it's quite a pragmatic legal i don't know if estelle would agree with this but it's quite a pragmatic not rules based so much as um you know, what's gone before, precedent, and, and so on and so forth. Of course, we have statute as well, but we have case law, which is very, very important to us. And I don't think they've got quite the same approach in Europe, have they? It's much more rules-based, as I understand it. Only civil codes. Yeah, all that. Yeah, I'm or, a little yeah. bit off my yeah. <laughs> confidence, only in not being a European lawyer. <laughs> there, is a, there are an, a number, hundreds of... Uh, um, thousands of, of laws that have come from the European jurisprudence and that we've adopted uniformly across the European Union. And I think, as Mary rightly says, that one of the problems going forward is not just that we don't know what's going to happen, but one of the options is we just keep things as they are and we keep adopting the European laws as they come out. Uh, but then we're not going to be part of the European Union, so we don't have any, any input or any say about what those laws are, but then in order to try and harmonise and not create confusion, potentially we're going to have to shoehorn ourselves into uh, those kind of scenarios, even if we haven't had an input on them. The other scenario is that we, we do something different and then we're not harmonised, as Mary says, with the rest of Europe and then that creates a problem in terms of legal uncertainties and having different scenarios for different European countries. So let's take a scenario, get back to basics. It's definitely wedding season. People mm -hmm. are getting married. If you were in a situation where you're getting married as a British citizen to a non to an e sorry to an eu national yes what advice what would you do in their position what would you worry about what are the questions that people should be thinking about the guest list <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about brexit and legal issues getting the trains to <laughs> the worry, wedding transport worry about transport. your address yeah. Yeah. And, and whatever mother and father-in-law you're getting yourself yeah. lumbered with because yeah. mary i know in your experience you know marrying 
someone from a different jurisdiction can be difficult when things if things went wrong. Uh-huh. So do you have any advice that maybe you're mulling over that you think people should be a little bit like, is it better to get a prenuptial agreement um, because of Brexit or anything like it's that? It's a very double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the answer is, do you, Estelle? I mean, you, I think um, pre- you, even, you can't even say you're controlling the future by having the prenup because in English law, the courts have still got control yeah. over that. Yeah. I mean, I think because because our system, as Mary was saying, is very different from a lot of European um, systems. Effectively, they're quite used to having nuptial agreements, prenups and postnups, uh, and this is quite common within European countries. Um, uh, not just on marriage, they have cohabitation agreements, separation agreements, agreements about children, agreements about all sorts of things. And they are quite, they are seen as the norm. Whereas here, they were quite unpopular for many years and, and they, popularities increased more recently. But the court's approach has always been the same, which is, um, it's not something that's decisive, but something that the court will or may, may or may not give weight to. Um, there was a recent case, in fact, uh, with a Swedish couple, and even though the wife had said, it was Verstig and Verstig, the case name, even though the wife had said that she, in fact, hadn't read the, the uh, Swedish prenuptial agreement for 21 years and couldn't even remember what it said, the court held her to the agreement and said that it was a nonsense, um, not helped by the fact that her ex-friend came and gave evidence against the wife in court to say that they'd discussed it many times oh, during the marriage. Um, so if you're from a European country um, and prenups are the norm, as they are in many European countries, the, the, uh, the court here may give that more weight because effectively you know what you're letting yourself in for and so i think post brexit um we'll have the same kind of scenario be a question of weight to be attached to the prenup or postnuptial agreement and perhaps more weight will be attached to it if you are a, a european national from a country where nuptial agreements are the norm so they would sort of take that into consideration it's part yeah. of all of the circumstances. It's not yeah. a knockout blow, but mm. it's part of everything in the mm. round. Mm. And, Marie, is there anything that you thinking about those sorts of issues that are you concerned in any way about? What are the things that are, apart from the sort of cues at the passport control and being separated from your children, are there anything you're thinking about, not an Erasmus? What else in the future are you mulling over that you might be worried about? Good, very good question. Um... Do you know these things coming with the prenups and postnups? We did one because we got married in France simply because I have got another brother and sisters and we've got houses in, in France and I want to have equally shares um, when my, bless my mother, passed away. And I also took the scenario what happened if I'm divorcing from my English husband. Kind of, I wanted my. Actually, my, according to the French law, um, and thanks to that prenup and postnup, my children have got more rights than my husband regarding my inheritance in France because of their French nationality. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting, yeah? Uh, because in France, it depends as well the year where you're getting married and etc. Yeah, as you know, things can change. I... Um, Actually, I'm just thinking that my husband used to have the signature of my Eurobank account, which he still doesn't have. 
<laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, maybe we should do that this summer. <laughs> I, I just think in the future, um, yeah, things like if you want to move, even if as a British citizen, him married with me, um, if he wants to move and buy something in France, where was that all going to be? You know, taxes, inheritance taxes, uh, all that scenario. If you want to move to, I don't know, I don't know one of Richard Branson's Highland, what will happen? You know, to which extent? That's a bit far away, but. Um, yeah, I think there's lots of questions which are going to come in the future, just for you, ladies. <laughs> that sounds like another one to worry about. Property law, goodness me. I think what we're saying, though, what all this converts into is cost yeah. and expense and inconvenience and worry. Yeah. Um, if you go to a lawyer at the moment about my child's not being returned from France on that weekend that you, yeah. Kathy's talking about or... I filed the divorce petition today and he filed it yes, uh, yesterday, who goes first, uh, or I've got a maintenance order. We can give pretty clear advice and it's pretty clear what's going to happen and we can say that it'll probably cost X and we're just not going to be able to do that. And actually outside we were talking about, well, sometimes we're going to have to consult a European lawyer about how will this look in your country, and which we're not really doing at the moment. Which is going to slow things down, make it more expensive, obviously, and, yeah. and just make an e a stressy situation even yeah. more stressful and anxious. Yeah. So not optimal. But we don't know. I mean, maybe somebody out there is sorting all this out as we speak. Well, that's the hope, isn't it? Yeah. And, and in terms of, you know, lay people accessing the best stuff, earlier you held up that amazing document mm. that we've never seen before, the Brexit papers, but and you mentioned the Bar Council that's documents. <laughs> yes, what would you say the are the best, the, say, the best, say, three websites that people should always be reading and watching? These little things pop up on the government websites about settled status. You know, what are the three websites you think you would keep an eye on if you were an in, in Mary's position, Estelle? Well, certainly, generally, I just keep an eye on the news feed. Um, I'm continually seeing stories popping up. The, the first time I saw the settled status news story was, was just popping up on the news feed on my, on my phone. I think the Bar Council website is a really great one. Um, the Brexit papers are really quite interesting for anybody that's got a particular issue about how it might impact on a particular area of law. Mm. There are Crime. different papers for, for different areas of law. For family law in particular, there is um, the Resolution website, which is really good. Uh, that gives a lot of information generally um, about family law. And I think the Gov dot uk website um, is also a good one once the government have thought of a policy and put something together for example the um, settled status is gov uk oblique settled hyphen status hyphen eu hyphen citizens hyphen families and I like your idea, like that resolution website, they will have updates that are relevant mm -hmm. to families, won't they? What is the actual webs web address of resolution? Is it? I think it's resolution.org. Yeah, yeah, we mentioned that yeah. one before. So, you know, the Bar Council one, we would never have come up no, with that. Absolutely. And they have all the latest sort of papers on different areas of law. So if you're a business person in St Albans, maybe it's relevant to it go in and, and look. And that's where you're looking. So that's quite right. important. So it extends beyond family issues so Mary you'd recommend anybody who who wants to know what's yeah I mean they've got um, about 17 different papers so it covers cr crime it covers um, enforcement of, in of orders um, it covers consumer law um, 
And these are government papers. Uh, this is the fa- this is the bar association. So uh, they've sort of done their research. Is that correct? Yes, and, and, they're yeah. feeding into family law. And right. Yeah, I think it was, it was designed to um, to assist and guide the government in terms of the issues that um, the bar- barristers um, combined in terms of the bar council could see as potential problems or issues that we need to look out for the future of Brexit. So we've taken a photo of the actual document. It's on our Facebook page, if anyone wants, and we'll pop up all all those um, the websites that you recommended. The government website is actually very readable, isn't it? It's very accessible, and um, you know you get the answers to the questions in there. Excellent. It is actually very user friendly. So um, so it's it's in fact the whole settled status policy is summarised into four user-friendly pages and just a quick question quite a basic question but um i met someone today who was asking me about she has she's a head teacher but she's got 62 languages in her school in london i mean do these documents that are probably extremely important for people you know speaking different languages are they accessible they are actually i think i saw that they um have got translations there was certainly there was I can't find it now, but there was a section that if you have any difficulties in applying, they're going to actually have a telephone line for people. Um, uh, and they're also going to have people going out to visit, for example, vulnerable people who, or people who haven't got access, for example, to the internet or So old, there might be assistance people. for people um, who, who, who struggle to, fill, to understand all that legalese, etc. Mm. Uh, There's I've not got, much legalese no. in here, actually. Okay. I got the impression that for anybody that would find it difficult, because I think it should, it's going to be an online uh, process, first and foremost, and the idea is that you'll make the application for settled status and you should get an answer almost there and then. So they're linking it up with with uh, passport systems and ID checkers and that kind of thing, and so the idea is that it's going to be a really easy system. But if it's not, if people can't use the internet for for whatever reason, if it's not user friendly for for certain people, I think they're going to be offering all sorts of ways to help. Because I think the government were concerned about this because uh, I think that the general EU consensus was we want to know what you're going to do for EU citizens within your country before we can move forward with the negotiations. So I think that's why now the government have come up with a firm plan for settled status because I think it was the precursor to the rest of the negotiations. I mean, just listening to you, I think if I were in Mary's position, it's you could sit back a, a bit and wait. To, there, it seems yeah. to be... I think a lot of people panicked, obviously. Yeah. And, and are still panicking. And, yeah, but, but they sort of went and just got a new yeah. a British citizenship yeah. or, or changed yes. their... or got dual citizenship. But actually, you can take your time. It sounds You can like. sign up for email updates yeah. from mm. the government. Exactly. So, yeah. like, uh, I think Mary Francois yeah. has... Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I suppose there, there's probably a nervousness about even doing that. You know, signing up for email updates. Maybe people think you know they mm. don't want to be on radars. They'd rather kind of stay, stay, stay you know, stay, stay out of things until they see how things pan out. Because it it feels very much up in the air. But it's so re- refreshing to hear you both. You know, you're on the ball with this. You're looking at it. You're keeping up to date with things with all the information that is coming out so it's great to hear and very reassuring uh-huh. really and I'm sure it is for our listeners yeah and Marie is nodding her head spot on ladies <laughs> she's just said <laughs> but uh, thank you so much to Estelle Lear Mary McAvoy and Marie-Francois
for <laughs> joining us, us this evening thank you, thank on the you. parents thank show. You ladies. Well, we'll be taking a mini break now and we'll come back with um, sort of some tips from Claire Healy from Raring to Go. The Parents Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parents Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. The radio station for Marshallswick, Batchwood and Jersey Farm. 92.6 FM, Radio Verulam. Two great programmes with Len Jones on Sunday evening. Big Band Show at 6. On this evening's Big Band Show, Count Basie, Jimmy Dorsey, Artie Shaw and more. And the Jazz Hour at 7. Coming up on this evening's Jazz Hour, Billy Holiday, Jerry Mulligan, Carmen McRae and more. Len Jones on Sunday evenings with the Big Band Show at 6 and the Jazz Hour at 7 on 92.6 FM Radio Verily. We are the radio station for St Albans, 92.6 FM, Radio Verulam. Welcome back to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam, 92.6 FM. And that was a fabulous insight, wasn't it, into what's going on in terms of family law and Brexit. And I th- It's always reassuring. It's very, very reassuring to meet people like Mary McAvoy and Estelle yeah. because they really know their staff. You can ring them up when the time comes. It's good yeah. to know who's there for us yeah. as families who are in situations like and that. And that professionals like them, they're on the ball, they're watching every development as it comes yeah. and, and getting on top of things so that if yeah. anybody does need them... You and know, just sort of staying in touch. Look at yeah. these amazing tips they've given us. Yeah. You feel that there is a, you can connect to the right websites and just stay on top of it rather than panic and just see how things pan out a little yeah. bit. Yeah, very reassuring, very reassuring. So... Now, you haven't been in the studio for quite some time. Did you recognise me? <laughs> Who's that lady over there? She looks so familiar. So we oh, I was here for ever and ever and ever. And then I, I haven't know, been for a long time. I've missed you. Lately. I had a sabbatical. You had a sabbatical? <laughs> you missed us so yes, I missed you much. so much. And for anybody out there, any of our listeners who don't know the dulcet tones of Claire Healy from Raring to Go. Here's a wonderful reintroduction. <laughs> You're looking very brown. Thank you. It's very, very hot outside, know, isn't not it? Not in the studio. Oh. It's the coldest place in St. Albans. It's Hope. so it's good. Lovely. I can sleep in here. It's so yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, it's a nice change, but I'm not complaining. We can't complain, can we? No, definitely not. The whole not. thing in my job, it, it, all these activities... They all pray for good weather. Yeah. Now they're praying for it to be a little bit cooler. Isn't it crazy? (laughs) I was saying, you know, in in my daughter's school, you know the concept of wet play. So it's wet, you don't go out. There is now a new concept, (laughs) hot play. It's so hot, you don't go out. Really? Yes. Oh, I love it. Interesting, huh? The country can't cope with any extremes, basically, not even in play. No. No. So the trains buckle under heat. (laughs) They don't work in the rain and they finish in the snow and they don't work anyway. And the ground oh. is cracking. Have you noticed in the parks? Really? The ground is actually cracking. There are cracks in the, in the ground. I've noticed Amazing. the really, really dry grass. Yeah. Really dry. Crispy yeah. grass Crispy. everywhere. It's left. not comfy yeah. to walk on anymore, is it? No, mm-hmm. no. But, anyway. but we're not complaining. No, we are not complaining. Don't <laughs> jinx it, anybody. <laughs> so I hope listeners have got their pen, paper, yes. iPads, phones ready because we all know the end of term is coming and that can mean only one thing. 
fighting children. Yes. In oh, that case. don't. <laughs> no. Well, do you know what? I, as, I, as I was preparing for tonight, there are 24 pages. The first 24 pages of the summer issue are events events that are going on june july august that's excellent so it's fantastic and then i counted up the ones we've got on the website on raringtogo.co.uk as well 130 wow. so do you want me to start you ready? <laughs> ready? See, i'll tell you what, we're just going to make ourselves real comfortable here <laughs> these are you. top picks uh, yes well, first of all before we forget where do you people get the magazine from if they so the magazine is in primary schools and preschools right um, and children's centers those are the main places we've got a few left so if you are interested then please um let me know contact me through the um through the Facebook page yep. or through raringtogo.co.uk forward slash St Albans, which is where all the um, events are listed as well. Because some people might so just like to have the magazine as well. Oh, I yeah, think people yeah, do. Yeah, you yeah. know, you have it on the kitchen worktop and, you know, just flip yeah. through it. Even in the magazine, it's the highlights, really. I mean, 130 okay. are quite a lot yeah, to keep up yeah, with yeah. and we're changing them daily. We're updating them daily. So there are okay. lots and lots. So Give I thought juicy ones I'd then. go through a few. Um, well, I, I'm going to do a bit of a summary, really. So Stop me if you want to know any more, any more information about any of them. So basically, 130 events. They consist of outdoor theatre, festivals, shows, films, workshop, weekend events, special fun days, all sorts of things. And there's three that I really wanted to highlight because I think they just sound fantastic. The Little Welly, I think you know about already. You've spoken to them, haven't you, this weekend? That sounds fab. So tell tell us a little bit about The Little Welly. The Little Welly is an assault course, uh, an obstacle course, sorry, and they're emphasizing mud oh this is is the mud one the muddy one mud versus kids this is it sounds fantastic up at the Harts County showground Um, you can go along for one day or two days it's Saturday and Sunday this weekend Um, mum and dad can take part as well older brothers and sisters whatever Um, it sounds fantastic there's loads of events going on loads of activities during the day as well so that will be really really fun do you have to like Um, run through mud what's the scoop well you don't have to you you it, you can take part if you like, but if you want to do the, the obstacle course itself, then yes, you have to run through mud. And I'm hoping that the mud won't have dried out too much, but uh, oh, I think that was the least of their worries, horrible. to be honest. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so there's that one. That's weekend, That's this weekend. They are still selling tickets for that one. Also at the Harts County Showground is the Meraki Festival in its second ah, year. Yes. Um, they've got 10cc, Nick Kershaw. Um, that would be a great, great event. Are there tickets left um, for that? Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. there's still tickets mm-hmm. left for that that one um and one you don't need tickets for which is free the scarecrow fest in um flamstead oh, they do this they've done i it love that. i love that one Fabulous, isn't it? Such absolutely a cute. fantastic and I, I love that the, it brings that whole little village together I yeah it's lovely. i mean how, how can you have so many people who are talented at making scarecrows living in one village it's a, it's amazing isn't it there's Star Wars ones and, and <gasps> it's amazing. Isn't it's a it? really good weekend out, and that's seventeenth, eighteenth of August. So I mean, there's the just is that's those those are just three that I chose because they were very simple. So I'm going to do you a whistle top tour, whistle top tour of the holiday clubs because there are loads of holiday clubs, loads of camps going on. Um, so if you have an interest that I'm not mentioning it that I haven't mentioned here, let me know because I'm. I'm sure somebody will run a club. So there are holiday camps doing tennis, cricket, art and crafts, theatre, dance, multi-sports, circus skills, outdoor games, swimming courses, gardening workshops, arts and crafts, 
I think I mentioned that already. Puzzles, inflatables, um, trails, coding, animation, music production, Lego engineering and nature workshops. So I think that's kind of covering it all, do you think? I think we sort that's of amazing. Every single aspect of interest that might be of interest to, to children um, over the summer holidays. Now, we do happen to have a child in the studio, so I think we no. should make use of him. <laughs> We've got yes, Patrick here. I think here. so, definitely. Patrick, do any of those sound appealing? Uh, most of them, I think. Which, I think which I ones do you think children would be interested in? Well, most of them sounded absolutely fantastic to me. I like the sound of the little welly one. Yeah, that sounds really good. Is it the mud, Patrick, that that kind of swung (laughs) you on that one? Yeah, (laughs) the fact that you would be absolutely filthy when you came out. Do they have shower facilities? Oh, I hope not. (laughs) How do you get them into the car? I don't know. (laughs) And is that like, who organises that? Who organises it? It's organised by a big company. They've got four throughout the country. So they've had Henley, um, they've got Surrey, and one more, I can't remember where the other one is, but they're, I mean, they're fantastic. They're they just this is the second year that they've run them. And what do you wear to it? What do children wear? Like shorts or I would yes. Yeah. Wet Old suit? clothes. Maybe a wetsuit or something like yeah, that. Okay. We got a wetsuit, Patrick? Yep, I yep. do. What about the inflatables <laughs> thing? What does that mean? Your inflatables workshop? The inflatables one is a it's a stay in place sort of holiday camp, so you can you can just take your children, have a bit of a jump about for an hour or so yeah, it's a stay okay. but i don't yeah like so, so you don't want that one stay you don't want one. <laughs> <laughs> what about what go about, away uh, what about patrick the lego engineering lego yes, is that i an love lego one? so much coding that's, yes that's maybe a, you know more, i'm being a bit sexist but maybe a bit more of a boys thing your age no patrick oh, likes like barbie you know. barbie holiday camps oh, any barbie oh, coding yeah, I think so. <laughs> and the muddy one. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the coding. Do you, have you got any details about it, Claire? No, because I don't understand it, yeah. do I? It's <laughs> for that generation. Yeah. Don't worry. No, about I it. do. It's run by a company called Complete Genius, who are actually incidentally on the front of the summer issue. Um, and they run, I'll read it out because it's probably better and more accurate if I do that. They run educational and recreational activities for children to channel their inner genius, creating, performing, inventing, and uncovering hidden talents and they do animation cartooning minecraft as well music production multi-sports comedy coding and lego engineering claire in your experience you know when we we've been doing this show for so many years and actually maybe if even a couple of years ago we used to say there's nothing on coding (laughs) these things have just honestly i think they've mushroomed these holiday clubs haven't they in the last few years completely like even Mm. the circus skills one we had the lovely um jessica on who runs circus skills a few months ago and it was just you know um, the opportunities the children have who live here you know because we're on the verge of the countryside we're near london like there's just so much Mm. choice isn't there well you look at that list i mean there's what 20 odd different things and that's by no means uh, a finite list there are so many more out there is it easy for parents you know if they have particular children of different ages what's the best way to search through them this material you know is it best to post up on your facebook page saying i've got a five-year-old what's on this weekend you know what's the easiest way of locating possibly the right a lot of, uh, i mean uh, you, you can either do that or um a, a lot of people take take 
use use the Facebook groups really because there are then people who've who've got children of a similar age. Those are that's the easy way through it. So sort of joining um, your page on Facebook and then yeah. other parents respond. And yeah, things? yeah, and then they can talk to each other about that. Um, to Google any of the of of not Google to search for any of the words on our website, any keywords like Lego engineering or coding. Or okay, whatever it is, that's a good tip. That would then obviously um, take them to the relevant places. Yeah. Um, age wise. They're, they're mainly sort of aimed, aimed at under 11s, I guess. Yeah. Are there um, any for teenagers? Is that a deficit? Do you know what? It's not my specialism. There yeah. aren't that many, mm. um, unfortunately. There are a few. And there's a very good Facebook page for teens and tweens in yeah. Hertfordshire, which is probably better equipped to be able to, to tell you about things like that. But unfortunately, for, for the teenage years, it's, there, are, there are less. I think there are more, more sort of um, things like this sh- showing them how to produce a radio program or how to stand in front of a, um, a camera yeah um, presentation skills things like that gets um, a bit more professional uh, I suppose. yeah yeah I, yeah I think they usually stop at 12 don't they so just before the team the, yeah. the organized events after that it, it teenagers aren't so keen on organized yeah. events some of the sports yeah, clubs uh, i think tennis clubs and things yeah. might have teenage sessions yeah, yeah. that would that would figure wouldn't it? I, I guess if you've got a specific mm. interest then that would be that would be ideal um but of course you could be an older sibling looking after a, a younger child and go along i'm sure I'm sure they'd love that. At some of the yeah. some of the activities, and obviously there's so many if, chores to do at home during yes, the summer. Even always. better. Always. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you want to get to go to the clubs, surely you should do a little bit of housework before you go, Patrick. What do you think about that? Um, well, personally, in my view, I prefer the housework to be done not by me. Ah, uh-huh. that was very diplomatic. That was very <laughs> diplomatic. Yes, <laughs> very diplomatic. I like. I like. Wasn't it. saying no completely. Yeah, but you were just just putting your preference out there. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. feel like that as well. Yeah, don't we, ladies. Personally, prefer- mm. my preference is not to cook the dinner tonight. Yes, but I know. No, I think you, you for the dinner not to be cooked. By, by me, yeah. that's it. That's Sorry, it. yeah, you, didn't quite get the word. You should right. watch and learn, Claire. Watch and learn. <laughs> and Lydia, what's the thing you're looking forward to most about the summer holidays? You always love your summer holidays. Well, we love going camping, you yeah. know. So mm. that's it. We'll have our camping done. But who knows if the we, we, obviously we're going to the continent because you can't rely on English weather, but. It's been a bit stormy in places like Greece, hasn't it? Yeah, and not as warm as well. (laughs) What date are you going? Let's let's worry about the flood warnings. 28th of July. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah, should be all right. Should be all right. Yeah, but it is. It's a lovely time of the year, isn't it? Things are winding up. Obviously earlier for some than others and you know time to give teachers a pat on the back and oh, say teachers well and we know. have done that goodness knows we've done that <laughs> at the hard sad school awards yeah, was a great, <laughs> great event yeah and not yeah. having to do the school run yeah that's what i'm looking forward to no yeah. no morning not no, having to not, get not, not having shouting to get at my breakfast. children every yeah. morning it's going to be so nice <gasps> pajamas till How midday is that gonna be <laughs> <laughs> great. somebody looks very pleased yeah <laughs> great well listen we won't mortify patrick anymore claire thanks a million <laughs> Thank for it's all on inviting me back always a pleasure i'm raring to go there's a little jingle that's lovely isn't it beautiful right thanks so much for listening uh we'll be back next week at the same time tune in the parent show is sponsored by neve solicitors neve solicitors are proud to sponsor the parent show the friendly team at neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk.
Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution.